Okay, we are in the book of Job, and I want to do a reading from 23, 10 through 12. And we'll ask when you find that, Job 23, 10 through 12, to stand in God's honor as I read aloud. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Let's pray. Master, as we approach you, God, I just want us to worship you. I thank you so far for the prayers that have been directed to you and the songs to you. Father, every part of this is a worship service. That's what we call it, and that's the goal. Not to give ourselves attention, but to direct our attention to you. And I pray that that only continue in this phase of the service. As we look at your word, and as we continue to look at Job, speak to our hearts, God. Father, I pray that, Lord, you help me to think with clarity and to speak clearly with courage and conviction. And Father, that uh, you might be pleased. We just need you, Lord, so speak. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. You know, it was, it was funny. Uh, last week, after the youth had come back from camp, Cameron had told me, he said, after, after church at camp, that sermon was short. He said, you know, that, that was short. And I thought, wow, how often does teenagers say your sermon's too short? Uh, but what I failed to tell him was that I broke it in half. But that was only part one. Now, now we're still in here, how to handle criticism in part two. And as we open this up and, and as we look at this, we have looked at chapter after chapter of Job enduring not only uh, physical pain from these health issues and from great loss of, of his ability to, to do his job and, and, and loss of children. I mean, lots of pain. But he's also had to endure the criticism of those that were his closest friends. It was a really painful time for Job. And it really hurts to be criticized, especially when you don't understand why. Turn me uh, to 2 Samuel 16. Um, I just want to look at an account here. In the life of King David, in 2 Samuel 16, we find David. He is leaving his kingdom because his son has desired the kingdom and it's dangerous for him. And picking up in verse 5, he's headed out. He's decided he's just going to give the kingdom to his son Absalom. And it says as they head out that there's this guy named Shimei. And he cursed as David walked by. Verse 6 of chapter 16 of Second Samuel. As he cursed... Shimei, or verse 6, he says, He pelted David with all the... And all the king's officials were stones. <laughs> so all the troops and special guard were on David's right and left. So picture this. Here he is, the king of Israel. And this guy's throwing rocks at him. 
and at all those in his company. Man, what a brave guy. And then he then he says these curse he curses him, and in the Hebrew it's even a little stronger. Uh, he's angry at him. But I want you to see David's response. Matter of fact, first I want you to see uh, one of the military guys' responses that were with David. Verse 9. Abishai, son of Zerah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. Man, we're talking angry. We're not talking about, let's, you know, give him another chance. Let's cut off his head. Abishai's angry. But that's not David's response. Uh, verse 10, the king said... Uh, why do you and I have in common, you, you sons of Zerah, if he's cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, my son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I am receiving today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones and showering him with dirt. <laughs> now, I share that episode in David's life, and we come back to Job, and we see a guy right after that said that David and his men were exhausted when they arrived. Job had to be exhausted. And maybe there's some of you here today who feel like you've been pelted. Uh, maybe it's not with rocks and dirt, but you feel like you've been pelted with criticism and there are circumstances in your life that you just don't understand. They don't make any sense and you're, well, just frankly, you're just sick of it. How do you handle that? How do you deal with that? Uh, just a plug for tonight, I encourage you to come back as I know some of the youth are going to share from camp. And uh, some of the leadership that we're able to be with them, I'm sure we'll share as well. And also, we had uh, our camp here, Freak Week, and there may be, we may learn about that as well, too. And the issue at that camp had to do with bullying. People picking on people and hurting them. And I shared a story in my little group. You know, I was, I don't, I can't remember, maybe 12. And there was this guy, I was a little guy, and this guy, he had to outweigh me at least 100 pounds. And he was really mean to me, guys. He'd say this stuff to me and pick on me, and I never could figure out why. And, and I remember one day I was walking home from school, and the guy charges toward me, picks me up, and runs into a briar patch and just dives on top of me, you know, in these thorns, and I get up. And the crazy thing about it is he moved, so it was never resolved. And one of the kids said to me, well, why didn't you stand up for yourself? I said, because he'd have killed me. That was the basic reality of it. He was a lot bigger than I was. But what gets me, I'm 50 years old. I still remember his name. And, and the pain's still kind of there. Now, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, I've tried to stay in better shape. Maybe I can take him. No, that's not what I was thinking. Actually, I just don't understand. I'm 50 years old and I'm thinking, why did he hate me? I never understood. And as we look at Job in this situation, he, he doesn't understand. He doesn't know why he's facing all this situation. He wasn't able to be up in the heavens when God and, and the great adversary had their, 
their talk, their conference. He, he doesn't understand any of this. And, and he's facing this criticism of his friends. And as we read through here in chapter 22, verses 1 through 10, Eliphaz says, you're a sinner. And then in verses 11 through 20, he takes off and he says, and not only that, you're a hypocrite. And then he comes in through 21 through the end of the chapter and he gives a fantastic sermon. I mean, any preacher says, man, this is a great text. I could take this and I could preach this and God would be able to move. The only problem was, he was already, Job was already sold out to God. It was a sermon he didn't need to hear. You see, what happened is his friends had taken a little bit of information and they had built a whole case and then they dumped the whole truckload on Job making assumptions that were not true. As a matter of fact, more than likely Job was never closer to God than at this time as he had gone through so much pain it had brought him near to God because he's searching for God and he's seeking God but he can't find Him. So often that happens with critics. They're really good at taking a little bit of information, building a big case, and then attacking you with a case, even though they don't know what they're talking about. And that is what Job faced here from the words of Eliphaz. Um, You know, when he's called a hypocrite, a hypocrite's not someone who fails to reach their spiritual goals. A hypocrite is someone who likes to brag about their spiritual goals and never even tries to meet those goals. They just want you to think they're walking with God. That's not Job. Matter of fact, the opposite is true of Job. He was a man of great character. He was a man who did love God. He was just in a lot of pain. And he didn't have answers. And he's hurting. I want to read just a couple of verses from this great sermon here in chapter 22. I'm going to read 21 through 25. And look what he's saying to, to Job. I mean, this, this really preached good. The only trouble is, like I said, Job a lot closer to God than me. Here I'm saying this, but I... submit to God and be at peace with Him. Job, you need to submit to God. Then you'll find the peace. In this way, prosperity will come to you. That, that's when it'll come. Accept instruction from His mouth. Job, quit not listen. Stop this not listening to God. Lay up his words in your heart. Take his words seriously, Job. If you return to the Almighty, you'll be restored. He's already with the Almighty. That's not the problem. If you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets to the dust, your gold of over to the rocks and the ravines, then the Almighty will be your gold, the choicest silver for you. Down to 27. You'll pray to Him and He will hear you and you will Fulfill your vows. He, he preaches this. He comes at Job. He says, this is what you need. But he doesn't know. Job, in the meantime, he's trying to piece all this together. And it's so hard to face criticism that you don't understand. You, you, why is this coming to me? Why am I dealing with this? And God is silent. Lord, where are you? That's Job's. Reminds me of the story of little Timmy. Uh, you know, there's this great thunderstorm and Timmy's in his room and he's scared to death. And so he comes to mom and dad's room and he said, I'm scared. I, this lightning and thunder, I'm frightened. And they said, Timmy, God loves you. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Timmy, God is with you and you can trust God. So they take Timmy back to his room, tuck him in the bed. About the time of bold lightning, 
And then the thunder, you know, makes this great noise. And Timmy runs back in the room, jumps in the bed between his mom and dad. And they said, Timmy, we told you, God is with you. Timmy, there's comfort with God. He says, now you listen, mom and dad. I love God. I know he loves me. But right now I need someone with skin on. And that's Job. He says, man, God just seems so distant. I just, I need something Connects right now. It's where he is. Um, now, I want to look at some truths here. Uh, first, in Job 23, 10-12, which was the scripture uh, in our reading. Job is unable to locate the presence of God. But he decides to trust him. Look at verses 10-12 through 12 again. Um, of chapter 23. But he knows the way that I take when he has tested me. I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. What is Job saying? He's saying, God is all powerful. God is all knowing. God is on the throne and he knows my heart. I may not be able to locate his presence right now. And he may be silent to me. But I have a confidence that even so, he is God. And God is not a God who changes. And he is a God that I can trust. And he says, when he's testing me, I want to come forth as gold. He knows my feet have closely followed his steps. I've kept to his way. And I want you to notice in verse 12 here, guys, when sometimes we live by emotion, by our feelings, but we can't always count completely on our feelings because sometimes our feelings can deceive us because God is bigger than just how I feel. And at this point, he certainly has faced some depression with everything he's faced. And so he gives a confidence here in verse 12 that I think we don't need to run past too quickly because there's great value here. Notice what he says. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. What is he saying here? Even though I can't locate God's presence, even though right now my emotions are all messed up and and I'm facing all these issues, what I know I can trust in is God and who he is. And how did he discover who he is? At that present time through God speaking to his heart. And, and how do we know him now? It's through the Bible. Through scripture. God's mind given to us in written form. Um, that, that gives us insight into God and who he is. And, and what we believe. It's more than just how we feel. It, it's truth that we can count on. As I thought of this guys. I thought of uh, the book of Joshua. As it starts out. Moses died. And, and the basic truth is people... Although they worship God, some of them worship Moses because he was a charismatic leader who was humble. And, and you looked at him, you said, how do I know God? Look at Moses. It's what God's like, you know. And, and, and so it was a tough time as Moses now has, has died and he, he's gone into eternity. And here's Joshua. And now he's the leader. And what advice does he give to the people? He says, you don't have your mighty leader here anymore. And we've got tough times ahead of us. So where do we turn to find security and comfort and guidance? 
Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, he says that this book of the law shall not depart from me. He says, meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. What was he saying? He's saying, guys, the truth is is God's revelation. His word that's given to us. His, His truth written for us. He said, think about that day and night. Let your mind soak there. So that you can... Learn of God and learn of his ways and get his heart and his mind. That's where it is. He says, then you'll be prosperous and successful. I'm not just talking about a big bank account. I'm talking about what life's about will become clear to you as you learn about God and how he loves you. All right. Uh, That's the first one. Let's look at the second uh, thing here in verses 15 through 17 of chapter 23. He says, I'm unable to understand the plan of God. But I will trust him. Look at verse 14. Uh, before that, he says, He carries out his decree against me and many such plans he still has in store. And life can be tough. And, and Job shares uh, that he's afraid. Man, of what I have faced, there could be more to come. And uh, so the point is, even though I don't understand his plan, I know I can trust him. 15 through 17 That is why I'm terrified before him when I think of all this. I fear him. God's made my heart faint. The Almighty's terrified me. Yet I'm not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. It is really hard when we don't understand and we're hurting. Like the preacher who went in his study... He closed, you know, he's got the big smile on his face, trust God. He goes in his study and he, he cries out to God and he says, God, hurry up! You are so slow. Answer my prayer now. Hadn't we been there? And there's this fear. God, can I face what's ahead? Yeah. Yeah. You can. Uh, uh, this is from one of the early church fathers, a quote. Um, he takes us into the dark night. He weans us from all the pleasures by giving us dry times and inward darkness. In doing so, he's able to take away all these vices and create virtues within us. Through the dark night, pride becomes humility. Greed becomes simplicity. Wrath becomes contentment. Luxury becomes peace. Gluttony becomes moderation. Envy becomes joy. Sloth becomes strength. No soul will ever grow deep in the dark, in in the spiritual life, unless God works passively in that soul by means of the dark night. Wow. All right, chapter 24. He says, I'm unable to justify the permissions of God, but I trust Him. In other words, when I see, God, what you allow to happen, I don't understand it, but I trust you anyway. He starts out in chapter 24, and he is in the country. And uh, as we look at that in verse 1, uh, we see that land boundaries 
Or verse 2, land boundaries are moved. Men move boundary stones. In other words, people, you know, it still happens today. You know, I got to get the surveyor out there. Make This is my land. No, oh, it's my land. And, you know, people are being cheated on their property. He says here in verse 1. Then uh, he moves down there. Pastor flocks, they've stolen. People are still in their flocks. And he goes on down through here. And, and he talks about how this livestock that's so important to survival of these people, it's being taken away. And then verses 4 through 11, it talks about how those who are poor, they're being abused. And he just, you know, they're being hurt. They're being exploited. Then he comes down to verse 12 and he moves to the city. Hey, there's not only pain in the country, there's pain if you're in the city too. Uh, verse 12, he says, The groans of the dying rise from the city. The souls of the wounded cry out for help. But God charges no one with wrongdoing. He says, I look around me and there's all this stuff happening in the city. And, and God's just silent. And, and look at the examples here. He, he goes down, he says, um, There are those who rebel against the light, who do not know its ways or stay in its paths. <laughs> Verse 14, he talks about the murderer who rises up and kills the poor and needy. And then he goes on and says he steals forth like a thief. And then verse 15, he talks about the adulterer. There's all this uh, going on, uh, sexual sin. And he thinks, no one will see me. He keeps his face concealed. And I noticed verse 16 here, guys. He said, in the dark men break into houses, but by day they shut themselves in. And look at this last line. They want nothing to do with the light. They want nothing to do with the light. Remind me of Ephesians 5 where it says that uh, they hated the light because they were in the darkness. So anyway, he, he talks about all this and he says, you know, I see all this and I don't understand it, God, but I'm still going to trust you. He got, look at the very end of the chapter, verse 25. He says, if this is not so, who can prove me false and reduce my words to nothing? What do I want to say? It's okay to have questions. Matter of fact, three points here as, as I close. Number one, resist the temptation to explain everything. I already know you don't know everything. And neither do I. You know, sometimes as I go around and, and mingle with you guys, I'll say, did you figure it all out? Write the list down and give it to me. You know, but the truth of the matter is, only God knows. Um, second, Focus on the future benefits and your hope in God. And don't just sit and grieve in pain. We lose a lot of time when we get stuck in self-pity. Um, and then number three, embrace the sovereignty of God. Never believe it's chance merely at work. That God is out there orchestrating circumstances for his glory. Even when we can't see the whole picture and all we see is the threads that look like there's uh, no picture. But then when we turn around the tapestry, there's a beautiful design that God has been working on. And we just weren't able to see it. I close with this illustration um, that comes from the book, Dave Roper's book, Elijah, A Man Like Us. Uh, Dave said that he and his wife Carolyn were on a plane trip from Frankfurt, Germany, back to their home of Boise, Idaho. And it was an exhausting week, and they were tired, and they uh, sat down, and uh, a couple of uh, the guy next to him was, uh, or, or next to his wife, just went berserk. He was angry. 
because somehow he had been separated from his fiancée and he wanted to sit with her. So he made this big scene. So finally, there was another guy up in the other part of the plane who said, fine, I'll, I'll switch with him and, and, and you can sit by your fiance." And so they switched places. And Carolyn noticed as he sat down, he, this guy he took out a legal pad and he started to write in it and he was doing some kind of work and he seemed really preoccupied. The only trouble was on the other side of him was this little boy who just couldn't quit talking. And this guy, she said, was just, he just displayed such patience. He didn't get upset with this little boy. Finally, he, you know, he put his legal pad down and started talking to this boy. And after a while, Carolyn joined in the conversation, and they were laughing and having a great conversation. And he said he fell asleep. The guy that wrote the book, he, uh, Dave, Dave fell asleep. And he said and he woke up an hour later. His wife had uh, this guy's legal pad. And she was sharing Jesus Christ with him. She was sharing the gospel with him. And uh, he he was listening intently. And she was writing on that pad and drawing pictures. And, and you know, and, and he was into it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and finally he made this comment. And he said, you believe like my wife believes. Is your wife a believer in Jesus Christ? Yeah, you believe like my wife. I said, well, well, tell me about her story. huh? How did she discover God's love in Jesus Christ? And then he mentioned, well, um, in my hometown in California, Los Gatos, uh, she went to this church called Bible Study Fellowship. And Carolyn said, we used to live in Los Altos, which is next to Los Gatos. It's real close. And I know that church. And, 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 how, and how, how did your wife get in that church? And he said, well, there's this lady named Nell um, who had shared with her and invited her to come to church. And from that, um, she ended up becoming a part of the church. I was looking for her last name, Nell King. And Carolyn said, Nell King... She's one of my closest friends. He goes, really? And then it hit her. Before they had moved from California to Idaho, Nell had asked her to pray for a new believer who had just recently come to faith in Jesus Christ and for her husband, who was not there yet. And it was one of those aha moments. Here he is on a plane headed from Frankfurt, Germany to a stop in Boston. And then he's going to California and she's going to Idaho. But God had special plans. And it wasn't just chance. God was at work. And see, sometimes we need to understand that even though we can't clearly see the picture, it doesn't mean God's not at work. It doesn't mean that we can't trust God and that we can't depend upon God and we can't lean upon God. As a matter of fact, the truth is He is the only truth we can't lean upon. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know that truth? Have you based the weight of your life on that truth? It's not enough just to hear it. There, there has to be this meeting of the heart and the soul with Him who loves you.
And, and that's when we have this time of response, time of invitation. Man, I just want you to know how precious Jesus is. Not just in a sermon. Better relationship. You know, a life relationship. That's what it's about, guys. And, and so, Job didn't understand everything that was going on. But he had walked with God enough to know he could trust Him. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for a chance to look at your word. Father, I pray that you have your way in this time, God. Maybe there's some who need to come to this altar. Lay some burdens down. Maybe they say, I do not understand these circumstances. It does not make sense. And Father, I probably would not be able to help there. But I do know, God, you understand And I just pray for strength to trust you. But God, to do that, um, we need your Holy Spirit living inside of us. And that comes when we say, God, I know you love me, but I need to trust you. I, I need to agree with you that I need a Savior. I need someone to forgive me. I need my sins taken care of. And and God, that only comes through Jesus and trusting upon him, placing the weight of my heart and mind upon him. And and. God, maybe there's someone here today who needs to do that. I pray you speak and that they respond, God. And Father, maybe there's others of us here who feel like we've slipped. And, and Father, we, we need to be uh, energized. We need to be awakened. God, we need to remember you. I pray you do that too, God. I mean, this is not about us. We are not gathered here for one another. We're gathered here for you. Oh, how we need you. And I just pray, God, that you would glorify yourself and that we would notice. In your name we pray. Amen.